our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Family can be complicated. On January 27th, 2015, a family in South Africa was brutally slain inside of their luxurious home in an attack that only saw two survivors. A family that, according to some, was a lot more complicated than it seemed on the surface. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In January of 2014, the Van Breda family left their native Australia and moved to South Africa, moving into their home in Dizalze Golf Estate three months after their arrival. What was supposed to be a time of new starts and exciting opportunities soon turned dark when, almost a year later, the family was attacked in their Stellenbosch home in the middle of the night. Found dead inside of their home on January 27, 2015, were 54-year-old Martin Van Breda, the managing director of the Australian branch of a luxury real estate company, his 55-year-old wife, Teresa, and their 22-year-old son, Rudy all brutally killed with an axe while they lay asleep. Martin, with a deep set of wounds on his back, indicating he tried to shield Rudy from the axe-wielding assailant. Still inside the home was 16-year-old daughter Marley, who was critically injured after being struck in the head with the axe, but showed signs that she fought the hardest amongst her family. And there was 20-year-old Henry, who remarkably only sustained minor injuries. The scene, methodical and bloody, was described by a 39-year-long paramedic as the worst crime scene he has ever seen in his career, saying the blood, quote, ran like a waterfall down the stairs. As the only person not dead or fighting for his life, police turned to Henry Von Breda to try and figure out how such a brutal murder happened inside of their upscale neighborhood. According to Henry, who was standing there in socks soaked with the blood of both of his parents, the intruder was a well-built black man who wore gloves and a balaclava to mask his identity. However, things weren't really adding up for the police. The obvious motive, given their wealth, was the intended robbery. But if that was the case, why would the intruder ignore all of the valuables downstairs and instead go to the second floor where all of the family was sleeping, just to embark on a killing spree. If he was a career criminal, as Henry was making it sound, then he would have easily been able to grab armfuls of valuables and leave with none the wiser. 
When this question was presented to Henry, he couldn't quite come up with a good reason. Nor could he answer why there were no signs of forced entry in a home that, according to the security experts, would have given even Houdini a run for his money. A place with motion detectors, an alarm system, access-controlled gates, and 24-hour patrol. And even if an intruder managed to get through all of that, how did Henry escape with such minor injuries in comparison to the rest of his family? Things were further complicated when police looked into the records and found that a distressed Henry called his girlfriend numerous times, all went unanswered, and searched the internet for local emergency numbers before calling the police three hours after the family was brutally slain. When asked about the lapse in time, Henry claimed he collapsed after witnessing the attack and did not come to for several hours. When he did, he called 911 and in a recording later played in court said, my my family and me were attacked by a guy with an axe. With many arguing Henry allowed his family to bleed out, police knew that the only person who could name the attacker was Marley Van Breda. After months of extensive surgery and a handful of medical treatments, Marley was able to survive the attempt on her life and make a remarkable recovery. Unfortunately, shortly after that recovery was made, Marley was diagnosed with retrograde amnesia and had no recollection of what took place the evening of the murders. While her testimony would have made things easier on the police and on the courts, there was very little doubt in the minds of many that Henry was responsible for his family's murder. With Marley and Henry both residing with different family members, kept separated from one another, Henry continued to plead with anyone who would listen to believe in his innocence, with some news outlets reporting that he may have had a, quote, tick addiction, another term for crystal meth, and was about to be cut off by his wealthy parents. With the Sunday Times even tracking down a man who claimed to be Henry's drug dealer and identified him as a regular customer, and Henry with a history that included time in an upscale rehab center. This, however, didn't necessarily mean he was a cold-blooded killer. So the police continued their investigations. A year and a half of police work later, the authorities contacted Henry's lawyers and informed her that her client was about to be arrested and gave him the opportunity to turn himself in. He did so on June 13th, 2016, and was charged with three counts of murder and one of attempted murder, and was released on bail the very next day. With still no clear motive for the attack, a pretrial hearing took place in September of 2016, but was later postponed until November, so the state prosecutor, Susan Galloway, could obtain outstanding computer and DNA evidence. While this took place, Henry and his girlfriend, Danielle Van Rensburn, were arrested on September 6, 2012 for possession of cannabis and were both granted bail. This case was heard on October 12th and, again, delayed due to outstanding documentation. On April 4th, 2017, the state's trial finally began with Henry entering a plea of not guilty and maintaining his original chain of events. When his uncle took the stand and was asked who would want to kill the family in such a brutal manner, he responded, no one, and said the family was beloved without an enemy in the world. Not only that, but the Van Bredas were a close-knit family who loved each other fiercely. However, a neighbor living next door testified that, on the night of the attacks, she heard what she thought was arguing coming from the Van Breda home. The defense claimed that this was simply a loud television, but others claimed Henry was the black sheep of the family. 
While all of the other kids seemed to be thriving in whatever they were doing, Henry was a dropout and had come to spend his gap year with his parents and, when asked, seemed to have no real plans for his future. Much to his father's disappointment, who then threatened to cut off his son's allowance if he didn't clean up his act. Many believed the pressure to meet his parents' expectations was far too high and caused Henry to crack under the pressure. He had only been back in South Africa for a few months when the attacks occurred. On May 21st, 2018, the courts found Henry Van Breda guilty of all of the counts against him. He was immediately taken into custody and transferred to a prison hospital to treat his epilepsy and his depression. On June 7th, 2018, he was sentenced to three life terms in prison and another 12 months for obstruction of justice. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on January 28th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.